we'll be preaching through Acts. And I'm really excited about that because that's naturally, I think, kind of the flow of things. And so we're, gonna, we're excited about, about Acts. So uh, what's now, what's next? After the resurrection, what's next? Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word um, that we have access to. And Lord, I am guilty that sometimes I just forget that and don't realize how, how blessed and truly um, favored I am to have this. And so, Father, I pray that we would be students of your word more consistently and that we would become more like Christ in our walk with you and that we would be contagious because of the Christ that the world sees in us, not only through the way we live our life, but, Father, by what we say, by what we believe. So, Father, I pray that every person here, including myself, O oh Lord, as we come before your throne of grace, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be humble, and that we would be open to your word. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Sometimes Christians look at other Christians and say, Boy, I wish I could be as spiritual as they are. But don't you understand? You have the same identity that they do. So if they are progressing and you are regressing, it is because they are living in light of who they are and you are not. In my house, like in your house, uh, we have a toaster, we have different appliances, we have can openers and microwaves and refrigerators. They're all different appliances, but they all work from the same power source. So when we plug them in, the refrigerator does what? It refrigerates, right? When we plug in the microwave, the microwave does the microwaving. When I plug in the toaster, the toaster does the toastering. And when I plug in a can opener, the can opener does the can opening. Each appliance, though different, lives up to its manufactured specifications because each appliance is receiving the same power source. Even though I am different from you and you are different from me, all of us have the equal opportunity or potential of living up to God's manufacturer's specifications. You can be what God saved you to be, and I can be what God saved me to be, because the same electrical current is available to all of God's children. You see, it's available to all who belong to Christ. So, there are no special kids in the kingdom. God has the design for you. But you must know who you are in Him. There are no special kids in Christ. You say, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. You're a chaplain, a minister, 
Sometimes we forget who we are in Christ and who he is in us. We feel like we're just not that special, yes? Some of you here today, right now, you're probably feeling horrible about something you've done. Or maybe you're not, and that's okay. Sometimes we forget how and when the journey all started. When you first became a believer, assuming you did. Sometimes you forget how you were saved and what it looked like. How you were transformed and you were no longer that person. You're born again, a new creature. It's easy to forget. Brothers and sisters, today we're going to talk about this idea, this truth that we have a powerful purpose in the Prince of Peace, who also just so happens to be the King. We're going to read that here in the Bible text in God's Word in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 that you've already heard. So I won't read it, but I'll just address the text. So if you have your Bible, please be prepared to look in it. You see, the book of Matthew is a bit of a biographical book. It's a biography of Jesus. That's the genre. It's biographic. Its purpose was written to the Jews, to the chosen people, really to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And we know this because the book is stuffed with Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled time and time again. You cannot miss that in the Gospel of Matthew. Many Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. There are many themes as well. We are not going to cover all the many themes in the book of Matthew. To name a couple, it would be Jesus, the Messiah King. That's an, that's an important theme. Another one is the kingdom. That's another important theme. But I want to focus today just simply on Jesus, the Messiah King. In this text in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, we're going to talk about three things. Number one, there's a scheduled appointment that God has made with the disciples. Number two, there's instruction given at this scheduled appointment. And number three, there's a promise. Let's talk about the scheduled appointment. If you have your Bible, please look at it. Read with me. Verse 16 and 17, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It is not a coincidence that this scheduled appointment was arranged in, for Galilee. Now, where was Jesus crucified? Was it in Galilee? No, it was not. It was in Jerusalem, yes? But after the resurrection, Jesus said, you need to go to Galilee. I spent a lot of time on this. Ask my wife. Struggling with Galilee. I think it's very important. You see, there's no place like home. Right? There's no place like home. Many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz, yes? 
the classic Wizard of Oz with the scarecrow and the lion and the tin man and Dorothy and her little dog, Toto. What an awesome classic story. At the end, Dorothy's trying to get back home because she got lost, long story short. And she's there and somebody gave her instructions and said, with those red, ruby, glittering shoes, we need you to tap them three times and say what? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Galilee was the home of the disciples. Eleven of the twelve were from Galilee. Eleven of the twelve were from Galilee. One was not Judas Iscariot. Interesting. Now, remember, Galilee is a region. There are towns and villages in this region called Galilee, next to the Sea of Galilee, north of Jerusalem. Yes? Galilee is the home of the disciples. Galilee is where Jesus is from. Place called what? Nazareth. It's in Galilee, the region. Just a small town. And remember, nothing comes, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It just so happens, too, as we read the scriptures and we see the ministry of Christ, most of his ministry was where? In Galilee. You see, Galilee is a special place. Jesus knew that the disciples were doubting. He knew it. He could see it. He could smell it. He's God. He knows their hearts. And they saw all this ministry. They saw all the ministry that Jesus did and they saw him crucified on the cross. And then he miraculously comes out of the grave. They saw him alive after his death. And they were doubting. Now, some worshiped, yes, but some still had doubt. Why this Galilee? He knew that they were uncertain about the course of action to go and spread the gospel. He knew they were thinking in their mind, is this something that I really want to get tied down to? Is this a commitment I am willing to make? I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure if this Jesus is real. I'm struggling right now. Well, no, 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 no. I do believe. I saw it. I was there. Jesus says, I want you to go to Galilee. He knows they're hesitant about this call, this mission. Why Galilee? They're revisiting their first love. I believe they're going back to the moment in time in which Jesus saw James, John and Peter on the shore. And he makes eye contact with them. And for the first time, they see God in the flesh and they're engaged by his love and compassion like they've never seen before. Jesus brings them back to Galilee. To remind them of their first love, where they were transformed. Bring them back to their home where they have some respite, some encouragement, 
Because he knows that they're wavering mentally. He knows that they are uncertain about which way to take. That they're standing literally in two ways. Do I follow or do I not? But Jesus in his wisdom and his compassion and his persistent love says, meet me in Galilee on a mountain. Be refreshed. Remember. Remember, my friend, this is for you listening to this message. Remember your Galilee. Do you remember when you were transformed? If you're born again, you know it. You know it about. Some of you know the date, the time, the exact location. Some of you born again, you know about the time-ish. Maybe it was progressive. Okay, fair enough. But you know when you started to follow Jesus. In this ministry, in this call, in the Great Commission, we must remember our Galilee experience. When we first gazed upon the eyes of Christ and He called us unto Himself and then we began to sing, I have victory in Jesus. All my sin is washed away. Remember that time, my friend? Well, if you can't remember and you're not sure, today is the day of salvation. So he brings them to Galilee. And yes, they're struggling with doubt. But you know, friend, I want to encourage you. Do you know that it's okay to doubt? (gasps) Did he just say that? Nobody in here doubts, do they? Their faith? Nobody in here. No, uh uh-uh. Maybe just me. You know it's okay to doubt. You know there's a pastor by the name of Colin Smith. He's a pastor of a local church, not here, but uh, gosh, I can't remember, maybe in California. He said this about doubt. I think he said it very, very well. Listen to what he says. He says, doubt is not the absence of faith. Doubt is questioning of faith. Okay. You can only doubt what you already believe. Hmm. Doubt is questioning what you believe. Okay. I believe, but I'm doubting. I'm struggling. Yes? Fair enough? You with me so far? And then he goes on and talks about unbelief because really it's about doubt and unbelief. That's the contrast. It's doubt versus unbelief. And he says about unbelief, he says this. Unbelief is a determined refusal to believe. Are you with me? I think he's saying it well. I think he's hitting the nail on the head. He says, unbelief is a determined refusal to believe. And then he says, doubt is a struggle faced by the believer. Thank you, God. Amen. Preach it. Unbelief is a condition of the unbeliever. Because it is a what? It's a determined refusal. Unbelief involves spiritual blindness and a determined resistance to God. Remember the father who had a son and his son was possessed by a demon and Jesus went to heal him and he said, Lord, I believe, but help my, my doubt. You know, I'm a paratrooper. I'm a parrot. I love, I, I do, not all of it, but most of it. Jumping out of a plane, potentially behind enemy lines without a weapon, John. 
But I believe in that parachute. I believe in that silk to open, to inflate, that it'll take me down because it's done it many and many a times. But do you think I might doubt just for a moment while I'm in that bird that I'm even jumping out on the right drop zone, not over trees or water? There's faith, man. I believe, but help my doubt. It's okay. Remember, your Galilee. Now that's the scheduled appointment. Now I want to transition. I want to talk about the instruction that God gave to the disciples and to us, even today, at this scheduled appointment. Look at verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, now in light of their doubt, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And we'll stop there. First and foremost, this instruction comes from who? It comes from the king. You see, don't forget, brothers and sisters, we have a powerful purpose in the Prince of Peace who also just so happens to be the king. And what does he say? He says, make disciples. He says to baptize. He says to teach and to observe all things. Go, therefore, in your going. It's not in the text a coincidence that it's a participle. It's going. And you can see that in the Greek. Baptizing is ongoing action. It's I-N-G. It's a participle. Teaching is ongoing action. It's I-N-G. He says you never cease to do these things. There's the application. Are we going? Are we baptizing? Are we teaching? Are we making disciples? Are we helping them to observe all things? Well, chaplain, I'll be honest with you. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I like being comfortable. And I'm just not very confident in my ability to articulate. Neither did the disciples. Welcome to the club. Neither did Moses going before Pharaoh. And the list goes on and on and on of God using the unlikely. Some folks that were from Galilee. This Jesus who's from Nazareth and nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You see, God uses the unlikely to do the impossible. Do you think I'm special? I already told you there's no special kids in the kingdom. I don't know what else I have to say. You're a toaster. I'm a refrigerator. Okay, a skinny one. Maybe a green. I don't know. But we all are sourced by the same power. There are no special kids. 
Yeah, but chapel, you know, I try to share my faith and I receive resistance. Exactly. When you, as a children, a child of the light, proclaiming the light, that is the gospel, you're proclaiming light and darkness. The scripture is very clear about the light and the darkness. The darkness doesn't like it, and you're going to get some friction. The darkness doesn't understand why. You see, the darkness is adamantly opposed to the light. Why? Simple. It's because it exposes the flaw of humanity. Sin. That's why. You ever turn over a rock in your yard that's been sitting there for a while? Or a a, a log or a two-by-four or a two-by-six that's been there for a while in the middle of the day and you're walking in your garden around your house? You flip it over and what do you naturally see? A bunch of bugs. And what do they all do very quickly? They just scurry away. Why is that? Because you've exposed them to the light. Chaplain, there's resistance. I got it. But the king has given us instruction. You want me to give up my comforts? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross. It's not uh, one of those new... Serta beds with a nice cushion that's heavy and it's rugged and it hurts. It's got splinters and it will exhaust you. It will drain you of every bit of energy, mental capacity, spiritual brilliance and bring you to your lowest. It'll bring you to the end of your rope, the cross. This mission, the Great Commission. Don't think you can do it on your own. But then I go to Scripture, and I'm encouraged by what the text says. That that despite my doubting and me understanding my limitations, being tempted to find a life of comfort, being tempted to operate in my own gifts and talents and abilities, I am reminded that God knows And he's encouraging me. And he reminds me of my Galilee. He reminds me that in my weakness, his power is made perfect. And I can trust in him. It's so much easier that way. Maybe you feel small. If you know how mighty God is you will realize that you are not small in Him and that He is not small in you. I just can't give up my comforts. Brothers and sisters, you need to resist the temptation that culture and society brings to you each and every day. Listen, I talk about it almost daily. Boy, I can't wait to retire. I'm just going to go get some land. We're going to build our forever home. Really? Your forever home? But we talk about it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But there's this mighty force of consumerism and comfort that our country is enslaved to. Am I the only one struggling with this? And I fall victim to it at many a times. We need to resist the temptation to build a worldly nest. My friends, I ask you the question, will you give it up? 
Will you give up the world? Will you encourage me and pray for me that I not be a slave unto this world? You can't take it with you. It's not a forever house. But I'm saving like it is, and I'm investing like it is. I'll show you my Roth IRAs. They're doing quite well. And that's where I find my peace. Can I be honest? I find my peace in my next check, in the hospital that's right here around the corner. I get it. But it's a worldly nest. And it doesn't last. My friends, in all seriousness, have you ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? Have you ever seen a U-Haul? Anybody? No. Brothers and sisters, we are called to go and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because a person can't be saved unless they hear the message. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 10, 14. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, someone must preach so that someone else can hear, so that that same person hearing can then believe in Jesus, the one that they've been told about. Who's supposed to go tell them? Chaplain Jackson. <laughs> no. No special children in the kingdom. There's a lot of knowledge in here. What are we holding back? Jesus said, go teach them all that I have taught you. Think about the knowledge that's in this room, in this chapel today, young and old. And you don't have to have all understood and un under, under your belt. You don't have to have it all understood and, and together. Just share what you know. You see, we struggle today on this Sunday. We'll listen to the frequency that Seems right by Christian, but then when we leave, we go to a we, we, we listen to a different frequency. Let me let me illustrate. You see, we all have AM and FM on our radios. Yes, in our vehicles at home, we all have AM and FM on our radios. There are two different frequencies. Those are two different frequencies. There is no such thing as AM FM ish. They're two separate ones. Each frequency is separate and distinct. When riding in the car, you can only listen to one or the other, yes? You can't have both at the same time, even though both are there. Now listen to this, don't miss this. When we come to church for the HBN, that is the Heavenly Broadcast Network, we leave church for the FBN, that is the Flesh Broadcast Network, Flipping frequencies like this is double-mindedness. And we are all guilty of that. But God knows our struggle. He knows our doubt. And he's encouraging us. And he reminds us that we have a powerful purpose in the Prince of Peace, who also just so happens to be the King. Amen? This is the promise when you go out. This is the third and final point. It's the promise 
The promise is in verse 20b, in the second half of the verse, Jesus says, Go and teach them all to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the promise, my friend. And it's not a coincidence that this is God with us, connected to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, where they say, the prophecies there, Isaiah 7, 14, and it said, you will have a son, Joseph and Mary, and you're going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's not a coincidence that the book of Matthew, the gospel, opens up with God with us, and Jesus here gives him departing words, the disciples, you and I. He says, I will be with you always. Do you ever wonder how King David had such a great following? Go back to the Old Testament in your mind's eye. His people loved him. The soldiers loved him. They would follow him in battle. They did crazy things to put their life on the line for David because they loved him and they trusted him. Because he was a king, not high and pious and mighty, but he would come on the front lines and he would fight. And they loved him for it. They, the king was with his people. He got in the trenches with his people. He struggled with his people. An individual by the name of Raymond Brown, he writes of David's followers in his book, Skillful Hands, Studies in the Life of David. He says this about their commitment to the king. Their duty at that moment was to obey the king's instructions and to trust his wisdom. It meant that they were going into a life of hardship, insecurity, privation, suffering, and possibly death. But they would be with the king. And that, my friend, was enough. He is with you. Is that not enough? In closing, we talked about there are no special kids in Christ. It's all the same source. All you need is Him. If you're born again, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Word says, greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. It's a powerful thing to think. We talked about an appointment. Today, I think it was kind of a spiritual, divine appointment for you to hear this Word, this message. And I also think it's important that you understand that you need to remember your Galilee when you first met Christ. And yes, as you are called and given instruction, you're going to doubt and that's okay. Lord, may your prayer be, I believe, but help my doubt. You were given instruction to go and spread the gospel. Reminded to be light in the darkness. And yes, there's going to be resistance. And yes, there's going to be this temptation to build a worldly nest. And remember, the U-Haul will never be behind your hearse. For someone to hear the gospel, someone must preach it. And remember as you go forth, the Lord Jesus says, I am with you always. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you for meeting us today. Thank you for this location in which we can worship and gather around your word. Honey, sweet honey. Oh, Lord, we love you. Bless our closing and our fellowship, I pray. Amen.